Hello and welcome to the Growth Lab at Harvard University's weekly podcast. Argentina is currently facing yet another economic crisis. Eduardo Levi Yayati, Dean of the School of Government at Universidad Torcuato de Tela in Buenos Aires, believes there are deep roots in Argentina that make the economic crisis Aristotelian in nature. There are both economic and political factors that have contributed to the current fiscal situation, which make it difficult to rectify when considering the impact of shorter election cycles on economic policy strategy. For Argentina to find its way out of this crisis, Eduardo places importance on finding consensus among stakeholders to improve existing policies. In this podcast, Growth Lab Research Fellow Carolina Pan and Eduardo discuss the contributing factors to this economic situation in Argentina and the means by which the country can prevent future crises. Eduardo, so thank you very much for your talk at CID titled Argentina's Aristotelian Crisis. And I thought that was a very interesting choice for the title. So maybe we can start with that. What makes this crisis Aristotelian? Well, I would say... All crises are, you know, that um, Aristotle used to say that men are happy in a single way and unhappy in very different ways because happiness for him was a, a definition of virtue and you have to fill in different aspects of happiness in order to be happy. And uh, if you don't have any of these aspects, then, you know, the picture was incomplete. And when you look at the crisis particularly in the emerging market crisis, in, in particular in Argentina, in order to have that big a crisis, in order to have a systemic change, you need to have more than one factor. And uh, my introductory point in the talk was that there is no single cause that actually can be attributed to be the, the origin of the crisis. The crisis is uh, a number of preconditions, and then maybe there is a trigger, there is a shock that might be external or a political mistake that uh, causes all this fragility, latent fragility, to turn into a crisis. And then, of course, people will attribute the crisis to this and that, and it would be a mistake, and particularly a policy mistake, to think that changing that particular trigger would have avoided the crisis, because the crisis was a condition, was a precondition. And the crisis actually should illuminate the preconditions of the country, inherent fragility of the country in order for policy to start addressing the real causes, the deep causes, rather than the triggers. The triggers are anecdotal. Right. So it seems like people confuse the triggers with the causes in the case of Argentina, but it also seems that anything can trigger a crisis in Argentina, that the, already the pre-existing conditions are there all the time. Do you think this is the case? Do you think we are so unstable that anything could trigger? Or do you think now is a particular time because of particular factors? I think Argentina has two deep handicaps. On the one hand, it exports very little. And this means that we have a structural dollar shortage. In other words, if we want to grow at, say, 3 4%, that would be a 2% per capita GDP growth, which is the minimum to sort of keep political stability over the long run. You would need to export, I think, twice as much. Or vice versa. With these export ratios, you can grow at 1%. That's not enough. So what happens is that you're forced to inflate growth temporarily for political reasons. And that's typically being done by issuing debt. And at some point, that debt becomes ostensibly unsustainable. And then you have a run, a run you know, from investors, you know, particularly international investors. And given that we have a second handicap, a very weak, feeble 
currency that is not a reserve value for investors. When you want to finance this inflated growth, you have to go to international capital markets and you have to issue in dollars or in foreign currency and you create a currency mismatch, a currency imbalance, meaning that whenever you devalue, you are automatically bankrupt. So these two conditions combined, the fact that you don't have enough dollars to grow at a reasonable pace, and that whenever you want to fund transitorily this artificial growth, you have to incur in currency imbalance, opens the door to crises that you know, might be triggered by an increase in the interest rate in the U.S. or by a decline in commodity prices. We are exporters of commodities, particularly soybeans. Or because the political spectrum changes and there is a government that's more populist and is more linked towards not abiding by the law or complying with contracts. But, but the trigger is anecdotal, as I said, because as long as you don't fix these two handicaps, you are in an environment, as saying, inherently fragile. You know, any shock can actually turn this into a crisis. And shocks happen all the time. So you have to be prepared for that. So I think that some of these conditions are region-specific. So Latin America has a deep problem with exporting and the macroeconomic volatility. But still some countries manage to grow, even in that context. Do you think that Argentina has something more? Well, no country is identical to another one. I think that, having said that, in Latin America, in general, the mid-sized countries, the large countries in Latin America, Mexico, Brazil, more recently Colombia, has growth problems. And Chile will have, starting to have, to experience those growth problems because originally these countries were catching up from very low levels of per capita income, but now that they have reached the middle income group, they are facing what's typically called the middle income trap. They cannot actually go to the next step. So I think that the, the so problem is very hopeful for what's going to happen in the region. What I'm saying is they struggle to actually you know, make the next step. And it's going to take more than just continuing to do the same thing that we're doing before. It probably will take a different type of reforms and a more focused development strategy. But going back to Argentina, I think maybe Argentina is a particular case because of the lack of currency, of a reserve currency. So whenever you want to actually finance those cycles, you become extremely dependent on international capital. International capital is typically procyclical. They lend you when you don't need the money, and they never lend you when you need the money. So whenever you are in a, approaching a recession, you are facing typically a problem of market access. Nobody wants to refinance your debts. And that adds to the fragility. So we have a real problem in terms of exports and our capacity to growth that is augmented by this dependence on external capital. Right. And I also tend to think that external capital is also very moody in some ways. For instance, in the case of Argentina, I think that there's a very strong incidence of politics and economic performance. And then I believe this is also due to the fact that Argentina is a very expectations-driven economy. And then whenever expectations change, that affects what happens with investors and, and in general, behavior of, of the economy. Do you think this is actually a case? Do you think that politics actually dictates what happens in the economy? And do you think there could ever be economic stability when you have political instability? I think the two levels of instability are intertwined because, first of all, we're in a democracy. So if you have changing views in the population, you will have, almost by definition, changing views in the government because the government has to 
to some extent represent what the population is actually voting, is actually actually choosing. One thing is important to bear in mind is that when you talk about investment, investors, you know, we need to invest more. Same in Latin America, in particular in Argentina, we need to invest more. There are two types of investment. The real investment is the one that is missing in Argentina, investment that actually increases your growth capacity. And then you have the financial investment. The financial investment, particularly in the mid-90s, is uh, characterized by hard behavior because after the introduction of the Brady Plan and the creation of emerging markets, particularly bond markets, you have an investor base, you know, the people actually lend to a country, the international investors that lend to Argentina, for instance, that are extremely atomized and follow hard behavior, which are mostly uninformed. So it's true that they are driven by expectations, sometimes are misled by expectations, and that makes them even more pro-cyclical than they were before when you know, it was banks rather than bondholders, the ones, the, the creditors, the ones that were financing the country. So in the case of Argentina, this dependence has been compounding with the emergence of this new type of investors, there are small investors, essentially following the lead of large investors by behaving like in a herd. Our expectations are much more successful in attracting financial investors than real investors, because the real investor is actually a more savvy, more informed investor and takes a long-run view rather than a short-run view that this illusion of liquidity, this idea that you can actually sell the bond whenever things get, you know, start worsening, which is an illusion because if everybody sells, then you're going to lose in terms of the price that you're selling at. But this liquidity illusion actually makes these financial investors much more moody, as you say, much more procyclical. The real investors, on the contrary, they need to see more credible signals that things will be better, not tomorrow, not today, but in two years, three years, four years' time when he's starting to reap whatever investments put in right now. That contrast, I think, is one of the characteristics that explains what happened in Argentina in 2016, because you saw a lot of positive expectations that were reflected, I would say, an increase, a significant increase in capital inflows, but you never saw the corresponding optimism in the real investor side. So we had a lot of finance, and we could actually issue a lot of debt, but we didn't grow. That's one of the reasons why we're facing now a financial crisis. It's a lot of speculation, right, too, with what happens with the currency in Argentina. And so people actually want to make money out of it, right? So take advantage of the rates. No, I, I think that, you know, there is a dimension that you were mentioning before, politics and the message that the politicians send to the markets. The markets react to that. Our problem is that the economy, the real investors don't react to that. We need probably to change the message or at least to make it more credible in order for actual real investors to come to the country. Without real investment, the only thing we have is a transitory inflation of growth financed by debt that ends up typically in a financial crisis, in an unwinding of these positions, partially bailed out by IMF money. So we need to probably change the message. I think in Argentina and in many countries, governments tend to mistake the happiness in financial markets, the support of financial markets with the support of investors. The real investors are always trickier and you need to be much more convincing to attract them. And what would be the ideal scenario? What would a real investor need to come to Argentina happily and, <laughs> you know, stay? Well, investors need to make money. That's why they come. So you need to have profitability and you need to have sustainable profitability. Like in Argentina, we have several sectors that were artificially profitable because of subsidies. You need to have sectors that could be profitable even in the absence of subsidies. Those subsidies 
can work in the very short run as a stimulus, but at the end of the day, a country with a fiscal problem cannot subsidize everything that investors are investing in. I also think there's a role that the rules play in the sense that it seems like in Argentina, rules are changing all the time. So you know what's the scenario today, you don't know what it's going to be in two months or even in a year. So it's hard to plan. But right? that's tied to the sustainability concept. If you are engaging in a stimulus or a development plan that is based on unsustainable subsidies, sooner or later those subsidies will be cut down or something else will appear because you cannot simply sustain this over time. So the message should be credible in the specific sense of uh, being sustainable over a long run. That's one thing. And then, of course, profitability is associated not only with the productivity inside, within the firm, within the company, but also outside the company. And that's where the rationalization and, I would say, reduction, at least optimization of fiscal spending comes into play because you would like to see the tax burden you know, come down a little bit, but you cannot do that without reducing expenditure and you cannot reduce expenditure at the expense of, say, social spending. So you see there is a sort of a catch-22 there. Uh, in order for a promise to reduce the tax burden to be sustainable and have an effect on investors, then you should show the way in which you will achieve that in you know, lower tax burden without facing a fiscal crisis, which is exactly what happened right now. You know, in 2016, reduce export taxes, reduce, you cut some taxes, and promises uh, further cuts in tax burden, but at the same time you didn't fix the fiscal deficit, and now you're actually reintroducing the taxes that you cut in 2016. So the conviction of this promise is entirely related to the sustainability of your plans. If the plan is not sustainable, investors simply wouldn't react. So in this context of Argentina today, do you think there's any hope? No, there's always hope. If there were any hope, then we wouldn't be talking about this. and We would be doing something else. I think the hope, the only hope, the only upside of a very unnecessary and, and, and socially costly crisis is that it makes you face the urgency for some reforms, some changes. And out of that urgency, you can get the, the courage or the altruism, political altruism, to actually prioritize what's best for the country. So there is hope in that this crisis open up that possibility, you know, a new consensus. And I'm hoping that this will get a more constructive view next year at a minimum cost because the crisis actually can always deteriorate to a full-blown crisis like 2001. So I'm hoping that that's not necessary, that's not the case. But there's always hope. We know what we need to do. The problem is how do you do that? How do you coordinate the different uh, interest groups? How do you negotiate the distribution of costs? Because but every reform has winners and losers. And we need to find a way to put everybody, all the actors, all the participants, the shareholders on the table and to negotiate who pays what, who gives what. This is something that's very difficult in Argentina. This is my view of a consensus, you know, a distribution of costs, not a distribution of gains. Right. And that's something that crisis can actually trigger. Right. Very interesting. So do you think that we agree in what our main economic problems are and we just disagree on what policies we need to implement? Even taking the political aspect aside, right? Do you think like every party agrees where the main issues are? No, no. There is no full agreement. There are some partial agreements, for instance. We know that we need to do something with the social security reform, social security scheme, in order to prevent the deficit from widening and offsetting, I would say more than offsetting whatever 
fiscal consolidation we are getting in these years. I mean, it's very costly to do this fiscal consolidation, to do the fiscal adjustment, and we are going to lose it in five years if we don't do anything with the social security system. Now, what social security scheme we want, that we don't know. In fact, I prefer one that's more distribution is a la New Zealand, and I'm pretty sure that most people in Argentina prefers more of a contributive scheme as the one that we have now. The problem is not that we differ on the scheme. At the end of the day, we'll have different preferences. The point is that you need to sit everybody on the table and agree with one scheme and at least get 51% of the vote. You, know, you need to have a minimum consensus to pass a reform. A reform that will incorporate this diversity of views, but at the end of the day will favor one view over the other. Yeah. The problem is when you are in standstill and no view actually can be pushed forward because you don't have any consensus and then there is no reform. I would be happy to have a social security reform that is sustainable, even if it's not as distributionist as I would like to. I am unhappy in economic terms if there is no reform and we face another problem with the fiscal deficit in three years. So it's not common view that we are asking for. It's just a place uh, where we can trade views and negotiate something that can be actually implemented. Right. Right. So it's getting something done. Having policies that favor the economy rather than the elections, being more radical in how we implement our policies, and even if we're all not in full agreement, knowing that we should take some direction somewhere. Yes. I think the standstill that we're in right now is worse than choosing any of the options that are on the table, have been on the table for a while. And I think we tend to agree on the priorities. I think nobody would oppose uh, prioritizing in budgetary terms uh, education, particularly public education, given that you have this degree of poverty and this very low you know, social mobility. The question that we have to negotiate is where the money is coming from. So, as I said, it's not negotiating who gets what, but actually who doesn't. In a sense, economic is like that. It's the allocation of scarce resources. So we have to decide who's not going to get something that now he's getting or where to get the, the resources. That negotiation is a positive sum game. So at the end of the day, you will probably grow more and will have more to distribute. But at the first time, at the beginning, you have to be aware that at some point you will have to take something from someone. And if you don't state the negotiation in this form, then you are fooling the voter or fooling the, the stakeholders. So you need to be very clear about that, you know, who pays for what, what every one of these actors is actually giving, putting on the table. That's never been done in Argentina. That's probably, in my view, is probably the deeper political pending assignment, so to speak. And finally, and to wrap up, going back to the beginning, going back to the title, you were talking about these deep roots that make the crisis actually Aristotelian. <laughs> And I think those roots are very embedded in our institutions and in our culture. Do you think those could be changed or that we just have to deal with that? That's what we are. And then we have to make all necessary adjustments to just be, <laughs> behave normally. Let me put it in this way. The most likely scenario is that we are not going to change. But that's also the case in many other countries because it's very difficult to impose cultural change. Nobody can do that from the top. Now, faced with this scenario in which we are going to essentially repeat ourselves, turn our groundhog day in which we have crisis, we grow very little, we're always complaining, we're always missing a mythical time in which we were rich like Australia, which never happened, but nonetheless it's something that's always in our minds. I think that looking at that scenario in the face can actually 
trigger a reaction. And the reaction would be to do something, some things differently. To understand that some of the, our beliefs were myths, were you know, illusions, and to start from scratch. I think there is a choice and there is a hope. But it's not going to happen naturally. There should be a disruption. A political disruption leads to a change in the way people think some of these topics. And for that you need a leader. A leading party, but particularly a strong leader that is willing to lose an election, is willing to lose some support in order to impose what he thinks is the direction of the next step. We're still missing that. But, uh, you know, everybody can change also countries. Thank you very much, Eduardo. This was a very interesting talk. Yeah, thank you. If you want to learn more about the Growth Lab's latest research and events, please visit growthlab.cid.harvard.edu. See you next week.